2: Welcome once again to the podcast that should probably drink less and train more. Yes, indeed. It is the Pack Filler Podcast. I'm Pat Bolger. Hi, everybody. Happy New Year. Or as my grandfather always used to say, Happy New You. He did. and and So you can't say that because that's his trademark. Big thanks to uh, Noon Hydration. I got to thank Noon once again. NoonLife.com. N-U-U-N-Life.com. For, uh, again, helping me out, keeping me hydrated, even even in my vain attempts, or failed attempts, maybe I should say, at getting fit for the new cycling season. Oh, I hope I make it. I hope I make it. I'm trying to set some goals, but well, I, I, anyway, thanks to Noon. <laughs> Noonlife.com, get over there and check out their stuff, or find them at your local bike shop. A lot of local bike shops carry that stuff. Thanks to those guys for getting that stuff out there. Um, I am personally doing the vitamin stuff because I work in an environment with a bunch of people who are regularly sick, and I'm just trying to load up on vitamins to keep me healthy. There we go. New Year, you guys. Hope it's off to a good start for you. It is so far, I guess I could say a good... I'm, I'm on track. I'm on target. Um, I did break with tradition i don 't know about you guys. I always tried to get outdoors r- literally every new year 's day. I try to get a ride out on the roads most of the time because I live in the Pacific Northwest. Most of the time those rides have to be on a mountain bike with studded snow tires and a very short loop but I, I used to consider that was like my version of why I people eat black eyed peas on new year 's day it 's kind of a, a tradition it 's kind of something that breathe good luck into the new year. And so this year, I unfortunately, I didn't do that. I, I took a different route this year. I did, however, ride on the 30th and the 31st. And I have something to tell you guys. I have broken my fat bike, cherry. I have done it. I got to ride a fat bike on the 30th and 31st. Thanks to my friends over at Mojo Cyclery here in Spokane. I rented fat bikes for myself, my wife, and my son. Um, some Rocky Mountain Blizzards, which is uh, complete. The circle is now complete. My first mountain bike of any of quality was a Rocky Mountain Blizzard, and now Rocky Mountain is reusing the name, apparently, for their fat bike lines. And uh, the, the three of us got to go out and try it out. And uh, before I say anything about the fat biking experience, I do want to say, however, that the first day of my fat bike experience was probably the worst possible conditions in which to ride a fat bike. We had here in Spokane, Washington, about seven plus inches of snow overnight, which I was looking forward to uh, because, you know, everybody tells you that's what fat bikes are for. You're supposed to ride them in the snow. They're great. Ooh, yeah. However, when that snow is extremely warm and extremely wet and then has a nice icy crust on the top of it, it is like riding in oatmeal and needless to say, my wife actually said after the ride, she says, I actually crashed more times on that ride than I have my entire life combined of being on a bicycle. And my son, because his bike was a little too short, a little too small. Um, the the extra large bike had been purchased that they were renting out so uh my son was on my son's like nine feet tall and so his bike was a little small for him and so he was all over the uh, the trail because you know the front tire kept sliding out from under him so he got a little frustrated i was anaerobic from the get-go just trying to keep keep momentum um it was brutal, but and I, I do recall a, a friend of mine said that if you actually enjoyed riding that day, you should just flat out buy the bike because that was the worst possible conditions in which to experience a fat bike, and and he was right. I did get out the next day by myself on my local nearby trails just very close to the house here and all that slush had frozen so I rode a lot of the trails where a lot of hikers had gone through and I rode through their their footprints frozen footprints and that made a difference I now realized uh, I then realized why the fat bike experience is so much more enjoyable because those tires just cruised over the top of those frozen footprints, and, and I actually had a good amount of traction for that. So now I, I kind of get why fat bikes are so popular. It's not like you're just on this cushy little Cadillac of a bike that bounces over trails. you still got to put the effort in, but um, I, I, I think I understand a little bit more, and I think I was running a little bit too high a pressure too. I didn't realize that you could go as low as like one pound of pressure over these over these trails like this. And so I'm, I'm going to have to experiment a little bit. I haven't bought the bike yet. I haven't pulled the trigger yet, but I'm seriously thinking about it. And you know what scares me the most? If I buy a fat bike, that'll be it. I I honestly don't think I'll need another bike. I know, you guys, I said it. I think my collection will be complete. Nah, I could probably find something else to buy. But I did, uh, so we'll see how that goes. I did ride on New Year's Day. I did, however, ride on New Year's Day. It wasn't outdoors. I did meet up with two of my friends, one of whom you guys all know very well. who has been a regular on the live shows, uh, Paul, and another friend of ours um, who who doesn't want his name out on social media. Um, We all got together and rode on Zwift we did a three lap loop of um i think it was in it was the richmond course in in zwift we did three laps of that course and 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 that that was that was an interesting experience because riding on zwift is is a completely different feel you don't necessarily get that well obviously you don't get that feel of riding in a group with other people um and you have to maintain your keep your pacing is a little bit different And so we were pretty respectful towards each other for quite a bit of that ride. Uh, The first lap, we all kind of, you know, if somebody got behind, we'd wait for each other. We'd all kind of take turns, things like that. Second lap got a little faster. And third lap, I think I was bleeding out of my eye sockets because we were all riding so hard. You know, it's so nice to know, even at this late stage in my life, I'm still as competitive as possible and a complete jackass when it comes to selfish motives. Um, Riding extremely hard and... We were all just going for it. And, and, and I experienced something that I've never experienced while riding in a virtual world. I actually fucking flatted you guys. I got a flat tire. My, not virtually, in real life. My tire started slipping on some of the climbs. And I was going, what the fuck? What, what's going on? And I realized that I actually, my tire, rear tire was going flat. And I had to drop out of a race online in a digital world with my friends because of a mechanical that is a pretty shitty omen for 2018 i really hope that doesn't mean what i think it's gonna mean because damn it i've made some goals and i'm gonna achieve them you guys today our guest is a guy who's actually doing it he's actually living it he's he's a pro he's a hell of a pro he's um he spent the last, I think I said at the intro, four years writing for Sky, but he's actually been with him for five. He has now switched over to to um, Katusha Albison. and he's been on the show once before, but I loved getting his perspective. And this guy is, um, hopefully we're going to see some great things from him in 2018 and some things from his team in 2018. So everybody, without further ado, Ian Boswell on the Pack Filler Podcast. Okay, everybody. Today's guest has been in the Pro Peloton since 2010 with a four-year stint with Sky. He now turns a new, really exciting page with Katusha Alpison. Let's welcome back to the show, Ian Boswell. How are you, man?
1: I'm doing well. it's uh, good to be back. Yeah. The years are just ticking away at this point.
2: <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. You're so young. No, <laughs> that's out of yeah. jealousy. I say that out of jealousy. Um, hey, first off, man, let's talk about the switch. Um, after cutting your teeth with Sky uh, in the European Peloton, what prompted your uh, your jump over to
1: Katusha? Um, well, there's a multitude of factors. You know, I'd been at Sky for, I'd actually done five years at, at Sky, um, yeah. which I've, re- I've really enjoyed my time there and I learned a lot and gained a lot of experience. You know, got to race grand tours with Froome and race yeah. with Wiggins and, you know, Garrett Thomas and, um, but I guess I just kind of felt like I was entering a point in my career where I need to have a couple years where I can kind of go for my own results and just see kind of what I'm capable of and kind of take my career to the next level. Um, and whether I do that or not, I'm still unsure because I'm kind of just just getting started here. But yeah. um, I felt like it would be something I would have regretted later in my career had I not changed to a team where I had a little bit more opportunity and freedom just to kind of test my my limits of performance rather than you know solely being a a domestique all the time
2: absolutely and and how has that that switch gone i mean here we are just in the kind of beginning stages of, of transition i guess we could call but but what do you think so far how's the switch
1: yeah it's been really well um the team i fit in really well and you know having just come from sky i have a lot of respect from from the other riders and staff on the team as a as an experienced rider which is a a change from Sky, you know, because I came to that team as a young rider and I've kind of always been viewed as as the young American kid on the team, yeah. um, even though I'm not so young anymore. So coming to a new <laughs> team, it's kind of like you start fresh and you're kind of able to redefine your, your identity and your role within the team.
2: Are there any specific roles uh, you have or responsibilities you foresee yourself filling with the team?
1: Yeah, I mean, I'd like to be uh, like a bit of a road captain, kind of like a captain on the road for for the guys and and the bigger stage races. Um, you know, we have Ilner Zacharin, um, who was third in the Vuelta last year, um, and he was third pretty much kind of on not only say on his own because he had support from the team, but in the mountains he was always isolated and still managed to get third. So, if I'm able to, you know, I'd like to kind of take on a role of. A bit of responsibility to to help him out, um, but also to kind of to guide the team, just in the sense that I have some experience, you know, riding for Froome, who's you know multiple times, you know, been yeah. in the leader's jersey, so kind of have experience along that line.
2: Are are there any specific goals you for self you yourself have for for 2018?
1: Yeah, I I want to go back to Tour California this year. Um, that's definitely a big goal. Um, I'd love to win win a stage there, and again go for the podium on, on GC. Um, and my biggest goal is to, to ride the tour. Um, part of the, another part of the reason why I wanted to come to Katusha is I want to be, I want to do the tour de France. Um, and I think that, and this team, you know, have a really good chance of making the selection for that race.
2: You seem to have, uh, you set your sights really, really solidly, uh, on a tour, California, California. That seems to be something that is, has really worked for you over the years. And is, is there something specific about that race that suits you?
1: Um, I don't know. Potentially, you know, just, you know, being from the States, you know, you have a little bit of extra motivation and, you know, maybe I deal with the jet lag better than most, um, <laughs> just because I've done the trip back and forth so many times, um, you know, it is a unique race in the sense it's you know American roads. They tend to be bigger. You know, we've, there's always a couple of finishes at altitude, which tend to suit me. Um, and I think I've also always had a bit more freedom racing there, just because it's an American race and being yeah. an American rider, teams have given me a bit longer of a leash to to kind of do my thing.
2: You you of of course you mentioned um, Grand Tours and you mentioned going to the tour. Uh, I, you know, and I I don't want to put that the, any kind of that pressure on because you always I'm sure that is the you know always the the grand tours are something that that riders kind of love want to participate but in stress uh, you know quite a bit of stress is probably involved in that but do you have any aspirations for those types of races do you see yourself as somebody who could who could excel in that type of an event?
1: Um, you know I'm not really sure yet. You know I, I kind of think the natural progression would be to to be competitive in some of the shorter week long yeah. stage races, you know, something like California, then, you know, from there competing in something like Perry Nice and Dauphiné tour de Swiss. Um, but you never know what, what's capable, you know, what's possible and what I'm capable of. Um, I think to, to win a grand tour would be, you know, I would just being honest, probably out of reach just based off of my physical ability and <laughs> probably just skill. Um, but that's just the closer I get to the top, the further away the top becomes. Really? Um, but I wouldn't say, I mean, I guess I could say, I could potentially see if I had a, if I really, you know, took a step up in the next couple of years, um, getting in the top 10 in a Grand Tour at some point in my career would be something that would, you know, be a nice achievement.
2: Well, and I mean, looking at your planned calendar, I was on, on your, doing some research on your website, you know, Perry Nice, Flesh Malone, um, Dope Day, all those types of events, those aren't those aren't tiny little events. Those, this isn't you know some kind of a second tier uh, calendar. They've the team's got you on.
1: No, no, the team's um, you know the big difference from Sky. The team does have a very clear cut calendar, and the calendar doesn't change as much as you know did at Sky. Things were always changing around, and I think my program, you know, barring catastrophe, injury, illness, um, you know, my program should stay pretty pretty set, um, which is nice for me. I'm a rider who tends to enjoy like the preparation phase, of like getting ready for races and kind of, you know, building towards something and having to clear goals and objectives definitely helped me. So yeah, just with the race program, the team's given me, they've, you know, put faith in me and kind of know, you know, what I, what I want to do, but also, you know, because I've gotten the races that I want to go to also expect that you know, I show up at those races ready to perform.
2: Yeah. What are the differences between the teams? Um, you know, being with being with Sky, being with, I mean, even even as far back as Bissell. Um, but what is the difference between Sky and what you're riding with now, the outfit?
1: Um, I would say it's a bit more of a relaxed approach. You know, I'm, you know, something that I, you know, learned at Sky was it was a very, you know, a very controlled environment, which for some riders is really really important and they thrive in that environment. Um, I think just being an American and kind of having, you know, I've had support throughout my career from whether it's my family or USA cycling teams, you know, kind of just advisors. Um, I've always had support, but a lot of decisions have kind of been made by myself. Um, and I think at Katusha I'm left to kind of choose my own path a bit more, okay. um, which has been really nice for me. It's been refreshing and it's it's been very motivating to kind of have my own to kind of be left to my own devices a bit more.
2: Okay, yeah. I mean, from the outside, from for those of us who are just kind of you know behind the fence, I guess so to speak. Sky does look very method methodical. I don't know if I'm getting that word correctly here. I speak for a living, and I can't get yeah. the word right. But um, it does look very you know almost. I don't. I don't want to say military, but very very you know organized and set, and everything is in a line. And you know, and and to be honest, I don't know about what life is like um, in that kind of a system or what it is like with with katusha but it uh, t- i would imagine being able to have some some trust and freedom would probably be a, a very welcome relief
1: yeah and it's something that it's you know at the moment i have i have trust from the team you know obviously in any career job you can lose that trust quickly if you don't you know if you're not performing to their expectations um but i think you know at, at sky there was a lot of There's a lot of data and I think they're pretty famous for collecting, you know, data, whether it's your, you know, your morning weight or, you know, your ride files, you know, how you're just kind of general, how you're feeling, you know, daily metrics, um, which is all stuff that I enjoyed being part of. But I think sometimes those things can, they kind of can overwhelm you. I think there was times when I felt like I was a bit overwhelmed with, I guess, like the marginal gains, you know, these small things um and you can be judged off of you know how compliant you are as an athlete and as an employee and i well i i prefer to do that and kind of control it myself and not have to report you know every little movement i have to to someone to be analyzed um so i have trust like i said from katusha now to you know kind of be a niece doing my thing yeah um but then, you know, obviously, I have to show up to the races and perform, or else things may change.
2: Absolutely. Well, it's it's interesting hearing that, you know, uh, and it's almost like you talked about the the concept of micromanaging being perfectly defined, and now it's 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 a lot more open like that. Are there any riders you're really excited to work with on the new lineup?
1: Yeah, there's. I mean, you know, it's a, there's a lot of that. new riders who I've I've known or spoken with in passing, but haven't really, you know, be, never sat around a dinner table and you know, spoke in depth, in depth with. Um, but everyone's, like said, it's been really welcoming. You know, we have guys on the team like Tony Martin, who, you know, just a wealth of knowledge when it comes to, to aerodynamics and time trial and same with Alex Dowsett. And that's an area that I'm aiming to improve on in the coming year. So to be able to to pick those guys' brain a bit and get some information from them as far as, you know, how can I improve my my time trial and ability is key. Um, and then we have some experienced riders as well. You know, we have Marcel Kittel's there now, and we have Kier Zilowski, a Croatian rider, um, who's been top 10 in multiple Grand Tours, so there's a lot of people, and, you know, there's different ways to approach cycling and tactics to race and cycling, so I'm looking forward to just racing and, you know, being part of a different environment.
2: You you mentioned Tony, and you mentioned uh, Marcel, um, obviously those, you know, uh, just, and the other riders who obviously are going to have very specific objectives. Um, Marcel, you automatically think of, of sprint, uh, you think of lead out trains, you think of that type of an ob- objective. Are there specific team objectives that um, kinda, that have been discussed and, and how do you, how you fit in with some of those?
1: Yeah, well I think my, my objective and from for myself and the team is, you know, there'll be races when I'll have opportunity for myself to, to ride GC, you know, California, um even my first race may be in Tour de if i'm ready um <clears throat> but you know the, with with Zacharin, you know he's a you know a proven you know contender for you know world tour stage races now so to be his to be his wingman um is a role that i would really like to step into and it's something i never really got to at sky with froomen i was you know road races with him but i was never his you know i guess lieutenant um in the mountains and that's a relationship that i would like to to build with Zacharin to be a you know his loyal lieutenant in the mountains and, you know, based off of, you know, his previous results, I think that, you know, if he has good support in the mountains, then he can, you know, continue to to podium and potentially win a grand tour.
2: Awesome. Now you, you, mentioned earlier in, in the interview here today, um, your, I, I don't know, you know, to be, to be at 26 and to have the, the perspective that you have and to understand where your particular career might be going, um, at 26, some might say you're entering those, those, those really solid prime years as a pro. Um, Do you feel any pressure or is that, has there always been some sort of a growth plan? Is it kind of a, you know, gradual increase or what, what might be going on with that?
1: Yeah, I think it's gradual, but I think at the same time, you know, kind of stepping away from cycling, um, you know, in the last year I've made some big life decisions and choices. Um, You know, I got engaged to my fiance, Gretchen, and we bought a, I don't want to say a farm, but we bought a yeah. piece of land out in Vermont. Um, you know, so I think it's it's added kind of perspective to my life and what I'm doing. And I kind of feel like I'm at the point now where I'm comfortable in my career. And maybe not, I don't want to say comfortable like in a laxadaisical sense, but I feel yeah. established. And I know this is my this is my career path now. It's not I'm not fighting for contracts from year to year, thinking, okay, maybe next year I lose a contract and I'm going to have to you know go back to school. Um, you know, I've kind of, kind of found my place in, in the world tour. So, um, it's kind of been a natural progression, but it's nice to kind of be at a point where all that I do, all the sacrifices I make, you know, time away from home and family kind of is, is for something now, you know, I still have tons of ambition and aspirations to, to be successful. Um, but you know, to be 26 and have bought in a house and, you know, (laughs) I've gotten engaged. It's like, you know, I do feel like I'm definitely growing up.
2: <laughs> are there any things uh, I, again this is that that classic um, trying to pull back the curtain a little bit here for those of us who who've not been in your shoes yeah um, are there any things that I guess for lack of a better term that that kind of wake you up at night going holy shit I got this or I I've, I've got to do this or are there any things that those stresses that that might be affected upon
1: you and uh, you know and how do you put things into perspective your a house Oh yeah. There's all sorts of things. I mean, I was in <laughs> Vermont at our place over Christmas and there's been that cold snap back East and yeah. a pipe under the house broke the day I left. Um, you know, so my fiance had to figure it out and call a neighbor to come help. And, um, so it's more things like that than, than on the bike that are like, Oh shit. Like, how do, how do I, <laughs> what can I do to, to help out? You know, cause I'm pretty, I almost feel helpless over here because I can't really be there to, to help her. Um, but, you know, we have, we did move to an area where we have great support from the community. And I think it's things like that that also have added a lot of joy to my life as well and added, you know, a much more round, rounded perspective to, to my life and what I'm doing. And, um, yeah, I mean, sometimes you're, you're thinking about things other than the bike. And for myself, that's something that's really enjoyable to get back from a ride and, you know, be working on something other than, you know, looking at my, my training file at, you know, makes me more hungry to go out and ride when I'm. You know, that's kind of it's work. Yeah. Um, but I still. I mean, I've I came back to Nice just after just before New Year's and there's been a couple of days we had some sunny weather and I was like, man, I I have it pretty darn well. You know, I was back in Vermont <laughs> and it was a snowy Christmas and it was fantastic and now I'm in the south of France riding my bike and loving every bit of it. So now I'm definitely very fortunate. Yeah.
2: Now you mentioned loving every bit of it and and cycling is is something that. I almost see as requiring a little bit beyond, for example, I, you know, I know some people in, in, in their, in their jobs and their occupations who might not necessarily, um, you know, be passionate about what they do. They don't live and breathe what they do. Um, can a pro cyclist function on a level of this is my job, not necessarily my passion. I, 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 don't know if that's a, if I'm phrasing that right, but you know, do you have to completely live and breathe everything you do in order to be moderately um, successful?
1: Yeah, I think, you know, I think maybe you see riders at the end of their career, you know, when they enter their late thirties who are, you know, I'll race another year because someone's going to pay me, but they don't maybe necessarily love it. Yeah. Um, they're kind of just going through the motions and they can still perform, you know, in their given role within a team. Um, but I think at my age, you still have to, you still have to really love it. And I think I'll always love riding my bike and, you know, it's almost become a, you know, I guess endurance athletics and just exercising will probably always be a, like almost an addiction of mine where I just, I just feel so much better and I'm so much more productive if I'm, if I'm exercising, you know, at the moment with that, that's cycling, but down the road that could be, you know, Nordic skiing or running, yeah. um, you know, once I'm done racing professionally, but I think being athletic and just feeling healthy and fit is something that I always crave.
2: You started racing in early two thousands around then. Um, and was there, as ever, a specific point that you considered yourself someone who could be at this level, at the pinnacle of the sport? Was it, uh, and and did it have to be something that carried you through all the way to this level?
1: Yeah, I man. I think I think I definitely, you know, as a kid, always envisioned, you know, riding in the Tour de France, and you know, I guess maybe having that belief at a young age. Not not being cocky or anything, but I just always. I just kind of always had a feeling that I was going to pursue a career in in professional cycling. And I guess this probably happened when I was maybe 15, 16, once, you know, I was a bit older and started focusing more on cycling other than, you know, playing basketball and, you know, American football. Yeah. Um, but no, I think it's something that I've always, that's kind of always been in the back of my mind. And I think that's probably an underlying motivational factor that just kind of just kept me pushing on and moving forward. And, you know, getting through the times when, you know, maybe things aren't going so well.
2: Well, you have to be, I mean, you mentioned cocky and that there's that line between cocky and confident, but you have to have that level of confidence even at the the earliest stages or it's not going to happen. I mean, I, I, the the people who have reached their objectives, some might say they, they uh, own that little, it's not arrogance, but you have to have that confidence in yourself.
1: Yeah, definitely. And I think, um, I don't know if we spoke about this last year, but you know, when I you know, for so long, my goal was to become a world tour writer. Yeah. Um, and so I turned world, I came to Sky and yeah, I signed for 2013 was my first year and I kind of floundered the first two years on the team. Yeah. Um, and I couldn't really put it together. You know, there was, you know, I moved to Europe. So there's a lot of, a lot of things change.
2: Yeah. That's brutal.
1: But I would say that probably the underlying factor was I hadn't reset my goals. You know, I'd kind of so long been fixated on turning world tour and making it to to the highest level. And I'd done that, but I never then, you know, kind of stopped and then reset goals for the future. So in the last couple of years I've set, made sure I've set goals, you know, for the seat, you know, even monthly goals, you know, a season long goal. And then even, you know, done a, a three-year plan, where do I want to be and in, in three years time, and maybe some of those goals are performance oriented and some of those goals are, are personal off the bike. And oftentimes those go hand in hand. You're not going to, you know be able to you know make some of the things happen if you're not you know motivated to get to where you want to go
2: let's let's pull out a little bit broader here Um, and and a topic that has kind of been coming up on on this show and things throughout the last year couple years is um the state of cycling in 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 america in the u.s here it's clearly different than than what you're experiencing over in europe obviously it's clearly different what, in your opinion, are some of the reasons the sport here is not as popular as it might be in Europe?
1: Well, I think there's a, I mean, there's a lot of factors to. I mean, it's it's interesting in the moment we're at now in cycling in the U.S. Um, because I think cycling itself is popular. I think people riding bikes is yeah. is popular, and people participating in you know grand fondos or gravel rides. I think that you know fat bikes. I think there's so many little you know markets within cycling that people are interested in um but i think pro cycling isn't necessarily as popular i think that's probably due to you know in europe there's a, a longer history of it and people just tend to to grasp the sport a bit more and understand it um i'd say another factor is probably how cycling is televised and yeah. you look at how people you know extract you know content from sports now you know you watch an nfl game and there's you know maybe two minutes of airtime, then they go to a commercial, or they go to a replay and in cycling, <laughs> people don't watch TV for six hours, you know, straight anymore. Um, you know, they're while they're watching TV, they're on their phone or they're texting someone on their computer, you know, it's, and it's cycling is a very traditional sport and how it's, you know, presented to, to the masses on TV. Um, so something has to change. I mean, unfortunately, because I think, you know, the tour has to stay the way it is, but yeah, whether cycling races become shorter or becomes more of a, I don't know, a high intensity sport, um, like cyclocross or criterium racing. Cause that is, people can sit down and watch, a you know, a 45 minute race without really having to be too distracted.
2: That breaks my heart a little bit.
1: Cause I agree you know, with you. We, I did a race last year. There's that new, the bell hammer series. And they tried to, it was shorter races and there was like a point system. So they tried, they've tried to make, a racing series that is a bit more engaging to fans um and the concept's still not perfected but i think in the future things like that will become more more popular just as far as viewership um you know people are always going to watch the tour just because of the history of it um you know especially growing up on the west coast of the u.s you know you wake up at a perfect time you get to watch the last hour while you're you know having your breakfast yeah um but you know it's it's hard to get people in this day and age to sit down and watch you know a five hour Tour de France stage you know where, I mean if we're completely honest, some, most to- most days nothing happens or you know something happens but it's not till the last you know twenty or thirty minutes of coverage and you've waited all day and but then you're you know asleep on the couch. <laughs>
2: well, you know, but and then but then you mentioned somebody's you know an NFL game is on and it's it's a three plus hour broadcast but I I just the the mindset of of some of you know here i am you know entrenched in american culture but the mindset of that is sometimes extremely frustrating that that we need to have something like a crit or or cyclocross in order to keep our attention to keep us i uh, just it it's sad but there's also uh, in terms of even local races that are that seem to be suffering with um you know liability issues with um you know the the learning curve of the sport um we do you see something over in, in Europe that that accommodates for that? that, that people are, maybe they're just born and they're raised in that environment and culture that they understand tactics earlier or quicker and, and be able to do that?
1: Yeah, I think that's, that's that's a big part of it. And, you know, it's more ingrained in the culture. I um, mean, you know, I think in the U.S. they could, it's just a matter of getting young kids on bikes and then you get families out and weather races in the U.S. I know they're, you know, I grew up in Oregon where we had the OBRA Federation. Yeah. Um, and when I used to go to races, there would be, you know, the pro field would have, you know, 70, 80 riders, you know, the junior field, we'd have 20 or 30 riders, you know, every field, you know, in the beginning of the season was, was packed full of riders. And a lot of these races now are going away because they can't get the participation that they used to have. Yeah. Um, and it is, it's an expensive sport. It's, you know, people are traveling a long time, you know, across the state of Oregon to get to these races. So I understand, you know, financially it's not cheap. Um, um, and you know maybe more people are just enjoying riding their bikes rather than than racing their bikes, but it's yeah again in Europe you know sometimes like in Belgium they have in a cremesse, which, you know translate to translates to a carnival like yeah. there's you know more going on than just the bike race you know there's also a little fair and there's you know rides for kids and there's music and food, um, so it's more engaging to a to a town to have an event like that because. You know, people come out who maybe aren't interested in cycling, but there's a bike race, but they can also, you know, take part in something else.
2: Yeah, you know, that's a great point. Here I, I see, I'm thinking about a lot of the races around my specific area, and they've all been altered so they're at locations that are separated out of, out of, the, out of the community, out of town, where we have open yeah. roads and things like that, and you don't have that party atmosphere.
1: Yeah, exactly. They, you know, you look at races in the US, it's like, all right, well, we can't get the road permits because it's too expensive. Yeah. So we're going to go, you know, out east of town and you know, there's nothing out there and we're going to finish by the dump because it's, <laughs> you know, we can close the roads easily. Yeah. Um, but then, you know, the local, you know, it's not a community, inve- community event and people aren't really, you not bringing in new spectators and yeah. people without, you know, knowledge of the sport to get interested in it
2: okay you hear that promoters who are listening to the show get 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 the ro- the roads in town get, create a party yeah and that's what yeah. that,
1: that's a lot yeah, what but i was back in bend uh last summer um for the cascade cycling classic which yeah. actually almost went under this year but um bart bowen who is my former coach decided to take it up and keep it alive yeah uh, but that downtown friday night criterium it's still such an event for the town you know there's thousands of people out you know there's music and it's it's really something special to the community. And if something like that just went away, then there would be, I mean, I'm sure in Bend they would fill it with some festival or concert or beer thing. Um, (laughs) but you know, it's, you know, these things growing up that, you know, for myself, that was such a, you know, a catching thing for me to see the, you know, the pro riders racing, you know, at twilight in a criterion that like got me so hooked into cycling. Yeah. Are there any,
2: um, i guess i could call it a holy shit moment are there any left in, in at your you're still going where it's like you know holy shit i'm at the start line of the insert race here i'm a holy shit i'm ahead of a specific rider or anything like that at, at your levels, is there any of those oh my god i can't believe this is happening
1: oh yeah all the time yeah there's <laughs> um you know just little thing you know that i could i'm still a fan of the sport you know so i'll still you know wake up in the morning drink some coffee and you know read you know cycling news or velo news and read an article about you know one of these riders whether it's you know richie poured or Froome, me and i'll read about him like from uh as a fan like wow that's like so cool what they did but then you know last night i was texting richie because it's his nationals today but i'm texting him as a friend yeah so i feel like sometimes i almost see these like a star riders as two separate people you know like jill bear um lives just in monaco down the road so we train together quite a bit and he he's an avid hunter um so we always talk about hunting so like we'll talk about hunting but then i'll see a result i'm like wow like that joe bear guy's incredible but like i don't almost (laughs) comprehend that it's the same person if you know what i mean yeah like we'll go for a ride and we're we're just two two dudes out riding bikes and then there's that you know athlete that i read about i'm like wow that's impressive and it's 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 yeah it's definitely sometimes like a a holy shit moment that you kind of look back on i'm sure you know it's hard to always appreciate things in the moment um, but i definitely know that I do, I do i do enjoy it now but i'm sure that when my career is over i'll look back and be like well wow, that was pretty pretty cool the races i did and places i went and people i got to meet along the way
2: yeah and uh, i personally would get so damn starstruck it would probably you know affect my performance you know there when you go to a start line and you're thinking okay i'm sta- I'm, I'm standing next to uh, uh a specific writer who you know i looked up to idolized maybe when i was a kid and now i am competing against that person and that that separation had to have been a tough thing to go yeah through yeah
1: about. yeah because there's still riders you know, who are old enough in the peloton who i grew up watching and even yeah. when i was a junior and they were winning races you know last year i did a race in germany and afterwards i had a beer with heinrich Hausler after <laughs> the race In the airport and I was like, Man, I used to like watch those those Cervello Beyond the Peloton videos. And I used to watch those and like get so motivated by like watching, you know, the passion that he raced with. And then now we're just sitting around having a beer, you know, talking about his life in Germany. And it's just (laughs) it's just a strange contrast from you know, these people kind of being idols to then just realizing that they're they're just normal people, um, you know, who've gotten to a high level of sport. Yeah. So you
2: you mentioned living in the moment, and I'm going to go the complete opposite direction. If, if When 2018, when the season ends, what would it take for you to say, sit back in your chair, have a beer, and say, yeah, that was a success? What, what, what were the goals that you would say, damn it, that worked?
1: Um, I'd say three big goals I have this year. So I'd like to podium at Tour California. I'd mm-hmm. like to ride and finish the tour um, and hopefully have Zacharin on the podium. And then I'd like to go to the World Championships with team USA and have a good, a good performance there, whether it was for myself or for someone else. Cause they're in Innsbruck this year. So it's a hilly course. So it's a year that, you know, could be good for me.
2: Is that what keeps the motivation going? I mean, you you mentioned that I, I got a text from you this morning saying you know I just got back from my ride. Is are there times in the season where you're just going oh crap it's raining outside I'm not gonna go, I'm I am not going to i do not want to ride today Is there is that what keeps oh, yeah. the motivation going? Yeah,
1: that's I mean I actually thought about starting like a, a Twitter account in the mind of a cyclist because <laughs> it changes all the time. You know you wake up and you're excited and then you look outside and it's raining but then the rain stops so you get excited again you go out and then it, you get a flat tire you know it's like you're in a constant yeah. flux of emotion. Um, but I think you, you know, these little setting goals definitely keeps you motivated through the year. And like I said, just having come to a new team, there's just, uh, been a change in my, in my motivation and kind of my love for just going out every day and and riding to, to prove to myself, but also to the team, why they've taken me on board.
2: You, you talked about the different sports you've done in when you were younger and things like that. Um, what was it that made cycling your sport of choice? Obviously other than success, Um, what was it about the sport that attracted you in the first place?
1: Yeah, I think success was, I mean, definitely one of them. Um, but I think just the freedom of it, I think, you know, I'm sure most cyclists would say the same thing. It's just the freedom of going out and being able to explore. And there's no real defined, you know, boundaries to, to where you can ride a bike, especially in this day and age, you know, I was back in Vermont and got a, a Canyon fat bike and I was riding, you know, riding in the snow. And when I was young, you couldn't do that. Yeah. Um, yeah but there's just always somewhere new to see and new to explore. And, you know, I think there's also, I did a bike tour with my brother two years ago. Um, and just, I realized, came to the realization of how how cycling makes you appreciate the little things. You know, like how nice does a a shower feel after a long hot ride? (laughs) And you're just like, you know, you're sweaty and grimy in like a shower or something that's so simple for most people is just like the best thing in the world. Or like, you know, a cold a cold glass of water. Like, you know, people get sick of drinking water so they have to drink soda or, you know, juice because they just can't, you know, stomach drinking another glass of water. But you know, a cold glass of water after a hot climb or you know, filling up your bottle from a fountain. It's like something that's so simple is so appreciated.
2: So here's here's my biggest and, and I guess deepest question. And I'm going to put you into per, into, in, on a pressure point here. If you had to speak on behalf of the sport to sell it to Americans, uh, what would your be? What would your approach be? And how how would you try to get people as excited as you are about being a bike racer?
1: I mean, I would just say the I think people have to. You know, sometimes people can't fathom like how many hours we ride, or their butt hurts, or yeah. you know, <laughs> the roads are too hilly, or tires are too small. Um, but I think from a bike you just you stimulate all your senses. You know, you see so many things that you wouldn't see if you're in a car, you know, you smell things that you wouldn't, you know, smell if you were, you know, on a motorcycle because you're going too quick. And if you're walking, you're not gonna see enough, you're not gonna cover that much ground. Um, so you really do kind of you it's a it's a completely like stimulating and you know, kind of enlightening sport that you know, allows you to see things and feel things and experience things that I don't think you would really get in many other sports.
2: And that's, you know, and, and you mentioned that's kind of where the sport seems to be going here. I, I hate to go back to that, but it seems like I, I've talked to a couple of coaches. Tom Danielson, for example, told me that uh, a lot of his athletes he coaches aren't necessarily – usa cycling athletes cat two cat one or cat four or anything like that they just people yeah. who want to compete they want to go out and ride with their friends and maybe that's where we need to go with it
1: yeah and i think another another selling point for i guess for americans is just that i mean for myself i get so much satisfaction out of the transformation of you know my body and my mind through you know through training you know i came back to i had a good training block in in December, and then went back to Vermont for Christmas and did some training. But it was it was Christmas time, so you know you have a lot of cookies and you know <laughs> you're eating a lot, and not really you know cycling wasn't my my focus. Um, I came back to Nice and I just did a couple rides and like I bonked and felt terrible, and I was just thinking, oh man, this is like I really went overboard at Christmas, and I'm here a week later after doing like a really big week of training, and I'm I'm just like buzzing off of it. I'm like wow, like that was such a good week of training. Like I'm ready for the for the season to get going. And just to see that transformation of you know a physical you know losing weight and feeling healthy and then being motivated to eat well because you know you've seen positive gains um it's just something that i find very very attractive to the sport just being kind of your own artist in the sense and your your body and your performance is kind of your your final masterpiece
2: how long can you keep this up what do you think
1: Oh no! I'm, a- I've that's another thing that's you know changed in the last couple of years is I live a much more balanced life now than I ever have as a as a professional athlete. And I think it took me a while to kind of learn to learn that you know last night in Nice, some friends we went out and had a pizza and a couple of beers, and you know went to get a gelato afterwards. Probably don't tell Sky about this or Katusha. <laughs> but, um, you know, it's like you you learn to live a much more balanced and rounded life. You know, I'd done a big ride the day before, so it's okay. You know, I had a big ride today, so it's like. You know, you don't have to live like a monk, you know, the whole year round. I think it's about really finding a balanced approach. Um, so I think as long as I can keep it balanced and as long as I keep enjoying it, then when I'm 20, turn 27 in February, um, I can see myself doing another, I don't know, seven, eight, 10 years possibly. Right on. Right on.
2: Okay, that's that's great. To, first of all, that's great to hear. Second of all, it's great to hear that that you guys drink beer. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh yeah, well I moved to Vermont, so <laughs> I, yeah, beer is a big thing.
2: Yeah, well you you mentioned Ben too, and uh, beer events. Yeah. I think I think Ben could just call any event a beer event. So um, yeah. But, yeah, yeah.
1: you actually had a I had a beer last night. Um, Left makes a, like an IPA with hops from from your neck of the woods actually, and okay. it's like advertised as what, Cascade hops. Okay. Um, and they said it was an IPA, but it wasn't. It wasn't an <laughs> IPA like I know.
2: <laughs> didn't didn't destroy your palate for the rest of the evening? No, IDA. it didn't.
1: No. Okay,
2: okay. Well, Ian. First of all, uh thanks for coming back on the show, man. I I love hearing uh, your excitement about the new team and um where your where your career is headed. Um, it seems like you've got a, a clear perspective of of what's going on, and um it's going to be fun to watch you, man. Watch from the yeah. Thanks so much. Wings, so, yeah, yeah. and if
1: you want to uh, connect in the middle of the season, we can we can see how things are going.
2: I am writing that down and quoting.
1: No. <laughs> Remind well, it's on audio so you can uh, hold <laughs> me to it. Exactly.
2: All right. Thanks for your time, man.
1: Awesome. Thanks, Patrick.
2: So there you go. 26, about to be 27 years old, but with a very grounded perspective of where he wants to go and where he, what he wants to do with his career. Uh, once again, nice talking with Ian. And I can't wait to see what's in store for him over the over the next season and over the hell, as he said, maybe even the next 10 seasons. And hopefully I'll uh, I'll be able to catch up, stay organized with my own thoughts and catch up with him throughout the season at least once, try to see how things are going for him at that level. Again, it's so interesting to be able to, to pull back the curtain and see what it's like for a, a real Euro pro uh, doing what he's doing and living the life he's living. We only see the, the TV moments and those types of things and what it's like to prepare yourself on a day-to-day basis for doing what those guys do. Um, it's, it's cool to be able to speak to people who are really still in the trenches and doing, uh, living that life and, and trying to make those type of things work out. So we wish Ian all the best. Thank you guys again for listening to another episode. If you guys have any questions, comments, or anything like that, you guys are in control. You guys can rape me and destroy my life and, and make sure nobody ever wants to sponsor this podcast, and I completely understand and am in your, your humble power. <laughs> you guys just drop us a line email you can drop me a line patrick at packfiller.com we are on facebook we're on instagram we're on twitter all those types of things drop us a note tell us what you think of the show subscribe to the show on itunes rate us on itunes and we'll see what happens live shows are being booked as i speak portland is on the map we got some more in, in spokane maybe even a little bit east of here in a wonderful little town called Court and Seattle is probably going to be back in the books here too soon. So if you guys got any ideas of where you'd like to have us come and talk and give away stuff and play stupid trivia, we will do that. Other than that, I'm also lining up a lot of in-studio interviews so we can be getting through the winter together and get to the season without hopefully gaining too much weight and drinking too much beer. Until then, talk to you guys next time.